0: Welcome to Life and Hope, the first podcast from the Abortion Survivors Network. I'm Melissa Oden, the founder and CEO. I'm the author of You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir, and Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, which will be published by Focus on the Family in January 2024. In case you don't know, the Abortion Survivors Network was founded in 2012 and became a nonprofit in 2019, when the numbers of abortion survivors and families reaching out for help, coupled with the great need for public awareness grew to the point that I could no longer provide it myself. Many people recognize the Abortion Survivors Network as an expert in advocacy for abortion survivors and as a network where survivors from around the world connect. But we do so much more, as you'll learn in these podcast episodes, as I interview survivors, mothers, adoptive families, friends, former abortion workers, and so many more impacted by failed, stopped, and reversed abortions. At the Abortion Survivors Network, we end the generational trauma of abortion by saving survivors at the first chance of intervention. That starts with seeing, loving well, and serving the mother who has attempted an abortion and needs help and hope. What have I done to my baby? Is there any hope for their life? For me? We field those questions every day, hence the name of this podcast, Life and Hope. Every day we see that where there is life, there is hope. And we wanna share it with you. So you can see and hear what we do and be encouraged and strengthened by it. Life and Hope is the only podcast dedicated to the stories, the statistics, the behind the curtain, beyond the news look at abortion survivors and the impact that attempted abortions have. Some of the news stories we will highlight are difficult to face, but those stories pale in comparison to the powerful, real stories and experiences you'll hear from survivors, mothers, family members, and more. Thank you for joining us in today's episode. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I want to do a quick roundup of news stories about abortion survivors and highlight upcoming events. Here are some of the top stories from around the globe focused on abortion survivors or attempted abortions. Over the weekend, Priscilla Hurley, our Alaska Awareness Advocate, wrote a fantastic piece for Focus on the Family. If you go to FocusOnTheFamily.com, backslash prolife, backslash can a baby survive an abortion, I did. And we'll be sure to put that in the comment section so you can find it. You will read this really powerful piece where Priscilla highlights the generational trauma of abortion and the powerful role that healing has played in her life and in her family. Focus on the Family are incredible allies in this work. Obviously, as you can tell, you know, here I am gonna be publishing a book in January with them, but I deeply appreciate this particular article because it highlights not just Priscilla's story and the importance of healing, but includes a lot of the statistics that we've identified through the Abortion Survivors Network And it even discusses some of the upcoming events we have like our September Awareness Month. So can a baby survive an abortion? I did, be sure to check that one out, share it with other people. The other piece of news I wanted to highlight is from Sidewalk Advocates for Life. If you didn't catch me on their podcast last week, I was so blessed to join my friends, Nate and Lauren on their Friday podcast, Really talking about the needs of women who are taking the abortion pill and experiencing them fail, where sidewalk advocates are going to find them, and really talking about the needs of everybody impacted by abortion. So if you didn't catch me in that, head over to Facebook. That was posted on Friday, the 18th. Listen in at around the 32-minute mark from that podcast to hear more. Those are our major stories, but I would encourage you to also go to our blog, that is abortionsurvivors.org, go down to the bottom of the page and click on blog. There have been some great pieces included there recently, including a really important piece about the ABCs of pro-life policy, written by Sarah, who is our public affairs team member here at the Abortion Survivors Network. Head over to the blog, Check that out, also read more about the generational trauma of abortion. We talk about that a lot in our blog. I wanna now talk about some upcoming events. You know, Many of our programs and events are privately held with those we serve. Our support groups for moms who are pregnant or parenting after an attempted abortion, as well as our support groups for adoptive parents and our community zooms for adult survivors occur monthly. For more information on those groups or to talk to one of our team members for one-on-one support, please contact us at programs at abortionsurvivors.org, or you can always send us a note on our website. For access to our additional community healing and speaker supports, you can reach out to us there as well. So that is programs at abortionsurvivors.org. We really do have a lot of upcoming public events and appearances, so keep an eye out for us, and for more information, visit our website. I want to highlight just a few of them here today. The month of September is now Babies Survive Abortions Awareness Month. Thank you for joining us in spreading awareness and bringing hope to all of those impacted. We have so many events and releases this month, it would honestly take a whole episode to cover them. What I can say right now is subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't yet. Again, the website is abortionsurvivors.org, and then just click on subscribe to our newsletter and receive all the details about press conferences, the launch of state awareness advocates, a new merchandise launch. I can tell you the merch is really fabulous, video premieres, and so much more. Of course, you'll also want to tune into this podcast to get all of the the story-behind-the-story interviews with survivors, their family, and friends. Other upcoming events, you can catch our team in Nashville, September 19th through 21st for the Samaritan Summit, where I'll also be an MC. Be sure to stop by our exhibit table to see our new video releases and tell Allie from the marketing team hello. The fall also continues to be a busy time of speaking for many survivors who speak at events, including still me. You'll see me on September 14th in Columbus, Ohio, Springfield, Illinois on the 21st, Pendleton, Oregon on September 26th, and Macon, Georgia on the 28th. If you're interested in knowing any more about these events, please reach out to us at info at abortionsurvivors.org. Although we share so many behind-the-scenes stories and events here on the podcast, events for ASN and survivors who are advocates get added frequently. So don't be surprised if you see us at more events than even those that are highlighted here. Well, today I have the incredible pleasure of speaking with Karen Stahl from Georgia. We are so honored to have her to know her, and to have her important voice and experience shared this September in our groundbreaking video series that highlights the hope that can be found even after an attempted abortion. Kieran, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's one of those things where your voice is courageous. You are courageous, and I don't want that to sound trite. So just know that we are deeply honored by you and you sharing your story with us. There is something really powerful that happens when one person finds and uses their voice. So let's kind of start there. What would you like people to know when it comes to your particular experience, if you had to tell somebody, you know, my name's Karen and here's what I've experienced, what would you want them to
1: know? <laughs> that, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I, I think from my perspective, um. You know, I attempted to have an abortion over 40 years ago. And like, after the experience was over, I stuffed it away. I um, built an incredible life with three children and a husband. And sadly, maybe no one in my life knows what the experience that I had 41 years ago. Um, I think most people would be shocked to know that. Um, So it's really hard for me to talk about it and to to go public with, with my story. Um, I do, I'm doing it because um, if it can help someone, like I, I feel like it's not my story. I feel like it's God's story. And Um, I have to put it out there and just let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and that's the courage and the beauty of it all is knowing that as hard as it can be to be so vulnerable, you share in the hopes that it makes a difference for somebody else.
1: Well, I gave Lauren my daughter permission to go public. And then um, this just seems like the, the next, step I guess that those two things fit together hmm hmm
0: when you go back to over 40 years ago Karen you know what would you say the the cultural climate was like for you or what was family cl- climate school climate you know I think we think about how does someone's perception of abortion get shaped and so I'm just curious you know how would you describe that did you know anything about abortion
1: Set the stage for us. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Um, My mother was in a tragic car accident when I was a child. And because of it, she was both physically and mentally handicapped. And so my parents were so focused on themselves and their own problems that my sister and I were just kind of baggage maybe is kind of how it felt. Um, So we kind of raised ourselves. And we, like, I was not around pregnant people. You know, I didn't know anything about pregnancy. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about abortion. Um, I was a really good student in school and very athletic, played all the sports, um, and then went to college.
0: And from a... Kind of a time standpoint, Roe would have passed sometime before you went to college. I,
1: I I had no knowledge of it. It like it wasn't even something on my radar.
0: So you went away to college
1: mm-hmm.
0: and probably didn't know a whole lot about abortion.
1: No, nothing. And then became pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, sadly, I mean, if you've heard my story, then you know that I've been in multiple abortion clinics in multiple states. And even given that, um, I still really knew nothing about abortion. It's, it's not like when you go to a clinic, they explain to you what's going to happen. Um, I think that purposefully, they don't tell you that because, I think that would scare you way more than actually having a baby. Mm -hmm.
0: And so I think that's important that you shared that because I think when people hear your story, they would go, hey, come on, the first time, the second time, maybe the third time.
1: Like, how could you be so stupid?
0: (laughs) But you made such an important point. They didn't tell you what was going on.
1: No, and I saw ultrasound pictures, which is what they use to determine if they could do an abortion, but I didn't even know what I was looking at. Like, there was a circle on a screen, and I, I didn't know what that circle was.
0: And even still today, I don't know that everybody's aware of this, but the abortion industry tends to to fight against legislation that would have women see the image of their ultrasound. I mean, Mm -hmm. what they did with you, Karen, is a pattern that we see continued still today. Mm -hmm. Do you know, and this is a hard question. So if it's way too hard and maybe you don't know the answer, but I knowing Lauren, I've thought about it a lot. Mm -hmm. That final abortion clinic that you went into, do you know what, the next step of the abortion procedure would have been if you would have continued
1: it? I don't think I understood what would happen. I, I maybe the ignorance was uh, security for me at that time. I don't know. Um, But I didn't even realize at that point how big the baby was. Mm -hmm. Like, I never looked pregnant, so I I didn't have any, um, there was no baby bump. So it's not like I could look down and see evidence, you know, of a baby.
0: Your experience is a lot like my birth mom's. You know, I was telling you, she's back there behind me in a photo with my biological dad,
1: Mm-hmm. My
0: abortionist had put on the medical records he thought she was about 18 to 20 weeks pregnant with me when she was forced to have the abortion. And when I was born, I was two pounds 14 ounces. So I was pretty similar in size to Lauren. Mm-hmm. And a neonatologist wrote in my records, he thought she was probably be probably about 31 weeks. Wow. And I think your point is such an interesting one because I, you know, you were a lot like my birth mom in terms of age, being a college student. When I started to learn my birth mom story, she shared, you know, she was also an athlete, um, had irregular periods. And here she was pregnant for almost 31 weeks didn't even know that she was pregnant. I mean, her, her her twin sister shared a college dorm with her and said, I thought there was something wrong with her for a while. I thought maybe she had like leukemia or something. And now, now we laugh and go, phew, it was just a baby. Uh, too bad not everybody thought like, phew. Um, but I think it's important to share these stories because how many 19 year old women still today Karen are in, in similar shoes where they just don't know. Um, Probably a lot. Yeah. And the abortion industry is like, Hey, I think we like it that
1: way. I I think so. Mm -hmm. You can't make money if they know what um, you're really doing. Exactly. So,
0: yeah, I, you know, when I think about the final step of the abortion and that's what, you know, part of what we're doing in September is helping people understand what does a stopped abortion even mean? Somebody asked me in an interview the other day, they said, uh, Do you mean like when a woman reverses her chemical abortion? And I said, no, Mm -hmm. that's something different. A stopped abortion is like in your circumstance, you're starting the abortion procedure. And for one reason or another, typically the woman is the one who decides to stop it because of pain or you change your mind. Sometimes the abortionist stops it because they find out you're much further along. Mm-hmm. I mean isn't it interesting how as a, even as a woman you're not really quite sure at the time, right? Abortionists aren't quite sure most of the time either. And again, as long as things go the way they expect them to, I think they're okay with that. Right. So a stopped abortion tends to be stopped at typically a late term and yeah, I think Lauren knows this. I don't know that she and I have ever talked a whole lot about it, but my guess is that the next step of that abortion would have been probably
1: dismemberment. Correct. I mean, I know that now. I, I didn't know that then. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. Mm-hmm. She did the research to mm-hmm. find out.
0: And I'm sure that's horribly painful for you because you can't imagine... That that would be the outcome for this person that you love,
1: right? And but of course, on that end, it, it was I had a completely different mindset. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to eliminate the problem and get on with my life. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's also I think important for people to understand. You know, especially in the pro-life movement, we we use terminology. You know, people will say things like. Well, a woman is abortion vulnerable, or she's abortion minded, and the reality is, yes, sometimes women are absolutely a hundred percent abortion minded. And well, for
1: me, there was no other right. choice.
0: Right, because of circumstance, right? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and that's what we want people to understand, right? It's the circumstance that someone is in the crisis and. You know, I think you and I have talked about that a little bit of how right the brain just when you're in that place of crisis that your your fight or flight is kicking in hard. Right. When you look back on that time, you know, I I know you had a picture of what your life would look like. And even based on you talking about your family at the time, Mm -hmm. I am going to guess you you did not picture a pregnancy factoring into how you saw your life
1: not at all and I I didn't even think I liked kids and (laughs) and that's coming from a retired school teacher (laughs) so like I um you know I did really well in school and I I think school was like my safe place you know that I could get away from home and do really well like sports and school and um so I just I pictured myself having some high power career, you know, making a lot of money, um, you know, doing what the world tells you to do to be successful, and that's that's what I was chasing. Would you, looking back
0: on that now, what would you tell your younger self about <laughs> what life would look like? <laughs> You're like,
1: that's a whole other podcast, right? <laughs> Well, you know, when you're when you're a teenager, well, in my case, I didn't know anything about life. And, you know, thinking that I wanted, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer or an engineer or, you know, something like that. And, you know, probably maybe have one or two kids, you know, down the road somewhere. But, you know, Uh, I ended up being a a high school teacher and not making a lot of money. And my family is the most important thing to me. So it's just funny that things just turn out maybe the opposite of what you expect.
0: Is that what you would want a woman in your shoes who's considering abortion to even know right now? Like it may not be anything like you expect.
1: Right. Well, that plus the fact that what seems like um, a crisis or, you know, the biggest problem you've ever dealt with will, will or could end up being the greatest joy in your life. You, you just don't understand. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I love that perception as well. I think, you know, I like to remind people circumstances are temporary Yes. And I think when I look back on my life, I mean, a lot of people know this about me. I have two girls. So I have a 15 year old and I have a nine year old and my Mm -hmm. nine year old was born with significant health needs. And I can remember really wrestling with God sitting in a hospital room for over a month with Mm -hmm. her. when She had had back to back surgeries and And in the midst of watching her struggle, I remember one day I looked at her and I I just said, you know, I I wonder who she would be, Lord, if she wasn't going through this. And it was like two by four upside my head, right? And it was like God spoke to me and said, well, she wouldn't be who I made her to be. Right. And I just kind of went gulp.
1: Got it. Yeah. Well, like we named Lauren, Lauren, because that, that name means victorious Mm -hmm. and um, Lauren has always um, been a fighter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: There's something really beautiful about that, isn't there? Yeah. In the midst of the suffering and the sorrow, there is something so beautiful and I think about that a lot as well at this point in my life. Like we don't get to choose the joy or the suffering. Those two things tend to be very commingled. Right. Yet our world would say, hey, you can have just joy, right? You should be pursuing. (laughs) that." I mean, that's what Karen, right? Four decades ago was like, yeah, I'm here for that.
1: Right. (laughs) I mean, we just want to be comfortable and we want life to... To go, you know, straight. And unfortunately, it, it, the ups and downs mm-hmm. are what it's all about. And that's what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so, agree. You know, when you talk about Lauren and being victorious,
0: remind me how far along you were. Because I sometimes get the weeks a little bit mixed up.
1: Well, I I think it's debatable because (laughs) that's true, (laughs) you know, what that what the ultrasounds said and then what happened in reality were two different things. Like it never jived. It it never made sense. But according to the last ultrasound I had, I was twenty one point three or twenty one point six weeks pregnant.
0: And when she was delivered, or was it like a few weeks after
1: that? It was many weeks after that. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was 26 weeks when she was born. So the the numbers never added up correctly. Mm
0: -hmm. But a 26-weeker born even outside of an abortion that was stopped can be such a deeply concerning situation for a mom, for a family, for medical professionals. I can imagine that felt really scary
1: at the time. Well, it felt like the worst joke because, um, you know, it was obvious that God went to a lot of trouble to save her. And then for me to, um, go into premature labor, um, unexpectedly, like for no apparent reason, um, it just seemed like the, the ultimate prank. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that night though, in and of itself, ultimately kind
1: of changed the course of everything because the, the people
0: on staff didn't know what kind of decision you had been considering.
1: Right. Um, like at the doctor's office in my paperwork, it said that um, I was giving the baby up for adoption. Um, But because I went into premature labor and went to the hospital in the middle of the night um, and everything was so weird and, you know, the way it all happened. um, After she was born, like William went to the NICU with her. And um, later in the day, they asked me if I wanted to see her. And I said, yes. And... After I saw her, I couldn't give her up. And so it, it, it was just the strangest turn of events.
0: For someone who's been in your shoes and went through that process of being so abortion minded because of the circumstances you are in. Put us in your shoes the first time you saw her. Because I know what it's like right when I've given birth to my babies the first time I've seen them. But what was that like for you after going through all that process? It was like instantly love
1: or. Mm-hmm. Yes. Instantly love instantly. Oh my God. What have I done? You know, so many things um, because she was born so premature. She looked like a little alien, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so she, she didn't really look like a baby. Um, but it changed everything. Mm-hmm. She was
0: still beautiful, and she was yours. And she's a spitting image of you. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you haven't seen my husband, but she's actually she really well him. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is something about your insides matching as well. <laughs> I mean how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think she has a lot of you in her.
1: <laughs> a lot of that firstbornness mm. that we both have. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, strength and stubbornness, I think, is the word that I've heard a lot of. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> words I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> Must be something about the whole experience that shapes us. I think so. When you think back also to the pregnancy with Lauren, and even after she was born, who was there for you the most? Like if you could make your, you know, top five list, were there a handful of people who were most there for you?
1: You said after she was born?
0: Even before, I mean, and maybe, you know, maybe the before list and then the after list, was it different?
1: Uh, Really the same. You know that I went to live with Bill and Jana uh, while I was pregnant, and they were from William's hometown. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I was in a new place for me, um, so I didn't know anyone except for them and William. Mm -hmm. Talk about William as far as
0: what's the experience been like with him? I mean, where was he during the pregnancy? You know, certainly the role that he played.
1: Well, during the pregnancy, there were times that I hated his guts. Um, (laughs) I love your honesty. (laughs) I, um, you know, I made up my mind how to handle being pregnant and he was not on board with it. And, um, there were long periods of time that I didn't speak to him. He would come to my apartment, and I would slam the door in his face. Um, he he tried so hard to convince me that abortion was wrong, and he never, um, I guess, really never empathized you know, with my situation, and my response was just, you know, I don't care if it's wrong. Like, this is what I have to do. Um, we had only been together for like three months when I got pregnant and there had, we had never talked about getting married. You know, I was 18 years old. Um, so, um, you know, I just saw things very differently than he did. And even though he, um, advocated for life, he didn't really give me any um, practical (laughs) (laughs) how-tos.
0: Right. Got it. Got it. Hmm. Have you guys ever talked about that over the years of like, man, I know that you meant well, but here's what would have been more helpful for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he had, there was a couple that lived in the same apartment complex with him a Christian couple, and he told them about what had happened. And um, they invited the two of us to come over uh, so that they could talk to me. And um, it it was a horrible experience. They, it it was another case of, you know, people telling me that what I was doing was wrong and murder. And, um, but yet not giving me any way out, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: you needed hope. You needed help.
1: Well, I needed something besides just being told that what I was doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: What's one tangible thing that would have made a difference for you?
1: Um, I, I, I think for me at the time, if I had understood pregnancy, (laughs) um, even like how far along I was, particularly, you know, later in the journey, um, that would have, I I don't know if it would have changed my mind, but it would have at least helped me make a decision, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And when William came to Dallas, to meet me at the abortion clinic, and he told me that he had already arranged a place for me to stay and, you know, people to take care of me, I guess. Um, that was very tangible mm-hmm. because going home was not an option. Uh, there was no support there. Um, so at least, you know, there I was given an option. Mm-hmm.
0: But I think that's an important point you make as well, Karen, of like just basic information, Right. Uh, letting women know what it's like to be 12 weeks along, 20 weeks along the humanity of their child. I think sometimes we can almost take that for granted, right? Of like, well, we know everything in today's world with the internet.
1: Oh, but back then there wasn't an internet. (laughs) And like, I just thought that it was a blob, you know, and I didn't know. And
0: unfortunately, I think the abortion industry still tries to thrive on that of like, yeah, it's just a clump of tissue, Mm -hmm. right? It's a medical procedure.
1: Mm. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: So start with information, provide or assess for what kind of needs somebody has, and then give them information about those supports that are available.
1: That's that's what I can come up with. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that's really helpful.
0: Why do you think Janet and Bill were brought into your life?
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a God thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think living with Bill and Jana for I lived with them for several months. And, um, you know, it was the first time I had ever lived in a normal Mm -hmm. family, you know, to see how a normal family operates. Um, So, you know, that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then um, just the fact that they would take in a stranger, they didn't know me. Um, I I can't even imagine the kind of courage that it took for them to do that. But yet they felt like God wanted them to do that and they just did it. No questions asked. They did
0: more than just tell you what you should or (laughs) shouldn't do.
1: Right. I mean, they provided a place for me and they provided emotional support and I, I, I could not have done it without them.
0: And I'm guessing
1: knowing now how important family is
0: to you that you saw something even in their family that probably didn't just help save Lauren's life, but it helped you envision what family can look like. Yeah,
1: what a Fair normal family can be. Yes. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there's something really powerful about that as well. And again, something that I think people can take for granted in today's world, right? Most people don't really even know what a healthy family unit looks like.
1: Right. And I think I'm just the poster child for, um, you know, the old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, um, because I didn't get that at home. And so, you know, now you see the the consequences of that.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's a very... Um, self-aware thing for you to even figure out Karen I would say I think we live in a culture where so many people are walking around wounded like that and people don't even have that awareness that that's what they're operating from
1: right I mean when you're when you're in it you don't know it Mm
0: -hmm. when you think about Lauren's life growing up so you're blessed mm-hmm. right to live with Janet and Bill and I mean spoiler alert you're still with William
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> years later <laughs> hmm. I mean there's a
0: lesson in and of itself for people <laughs> um, but when you think about Lauren's life growing up mm-hmm. were there ever points in her life where you would look at her and you would think
1: back to the abortion or was it just something that you
0: had so far tucked on a shelf that it just didn't.
1: It, it was just buried away. Like um, I, you know, I get the best um, analogy I can give you is, you know how, when you go through labor and delivery and it's so terrible and yet once you have the baby, you just forget all that. Um, I, I think what I went through was sort of like that where um, maybe maybe your your mind does that for you where it um, it erases or puts away all of the the hurt and the the pain and um, you just I especially with time you just forget
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, I I would I would hear people talk about miracles and on the inside I would think well I <laughs> you wouldn't imagine the miracles, you know, that I've seen or I've uh, experienced. Um, but the whole, William calls it the abortion capers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I there's no memory of the abortion capers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's what I... I often think about, I mean, I know what it's like to be in a survivor's shoes where we live in a culture that talks about this all the time and there's arguments about it and there's policy about it. But at the same time, I'm always watching it, listening and thinking, y'all have no idea. Mm. You just don't even know. And I mean, would you have those moments where you would be like,
1: yeah. I mean, if, if there was something in the news about abortion, you know, it, Coming out on the other side, obviously, I have a very pro-life position. Um, I, For a brief period of time, um, I volunteered at a crisis pregnancy center. Um, but then after I had two kids, like I couldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was always kind of bubbling beneath the surface, but um, I never gave lip service to it. I never told anybody what had happened to me.
0: Why do you think that is? Just because it was better put on the shelf so you could keep going in life?
1: Mm, I think there's... Oof. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even still, there's a a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. A lot of shame.
0: And that's why it's so powerful that you are willing to share because this is not like you woke up one day and went
1: <laughs> you know it's <what's> not <laughs> like fun no and you know the, the you know how it happened you know that I I eventually told Lauren mm-hmm. um, her story and it took a while but um, after a period of time she wanted to share her story and I wanted her to be able to do that. I didn't want to do it. Um, so I gave her permission to, to share um, and, and never really thought about the ramifications to me mm-hmm. until she started sharing. And um, then I've had to deal with my baggage, mm-hmm. you know, that I hadn't dealt with.
0: And I want people to understand that this is not just something that happens to you and Lauren and your family. I see this played out in the lives of survivors around the world. You know, most people don't understand that that we have found most survivors are actually raised in their biological family and that there's such tension that mm-hmm. exists in families, right? Even though, you know, even if you're a person of faith or you see that there can be good that comes from sharing that story, there is that innate tension that is like, man, I'm going to share this story with you, but don't ever tell anybody else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or I don't want everybody to know. Some people can know. I mean, is there a way we can bottle this and only let us <laughs> certain people know? Like, is that a thing?
1: Well, like with her, I, I gave her permission to share, but um, I I didn't even think about like how it would make me feel or anything like that until it happened. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run and get a tissue. That's perfect. Don't want to have an embarrassing moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's all right. This is real life, right? I mean, <laughs> again, I think that's what I think it's important for the world to see. Like, we are real people with real stories. They're not simple, no they're not linear, they're not perfect, they're usually quite messy, but there's still hope to be found in the midst of it, right? You know, when you think back to telling Lauren and then where she's at now, do you see a difference in her in where she's at?
1: <laughs> um, well, I know you've heard her talk about um, at the the time frame when I told her she was really struggling with what to do with her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she had majored in broadcast journalism in college and um had seen the ugly underbelly of that and kind of didn't want to do it anymore but yet didn't know what to do with herself (laughs) um she kind of felt a pull to uh, ministry um and then I, i think when i told her her story it it rocked her world and um it, 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 I don't know. It kind of gave it. It really kind of turned her in a different direction. I think. hmm And
0: do you think you're in a different place now than the first time you shared the story with her?
1: Um, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a mess then, and I'm a mess now. <laughs> So in that way, I'm still the same, but, um, it's been, I mean, it, it was the summer after she graduated from college. So like, it's been a long time, you know, since I told her, um, I, I guess I'm working through healing, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not in a, um, I'm not, I'm not seeing a therapist or anything like that. I guess just kind of, you know, dealing with my own stuff Mm -hmm. where I hadn't before. Right. You're not keeping
0: it on a shelf. That's a step in the right direction.
1: Well, and I, I think it's important for people to know, like, obviously there was a lot of trauma involved in that experience, you know, all of it. And, um, you know, I wasn't mature enough to even recognize that or even know what that was. And um, so I I guess 40 years later, then I'm trudging through the trauma, you know?
0: It's that unraveling of things. Uh, If it was easy to tackle, it'd be done.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: And that's what I like people to understand as well about survivors and moms in particular. We are more alike than we are different. And so I see survivors put their pain and their trauma on shelves in the mm. hope that maybe just maybe it'll go away. Right. Uh, and so we offer healing support at the Abortion Survivors Network. So we have a specialized curriculum for survivors. But we also have a social worker, uh, two social workers now who work with survivors and moms. And so, you know, as you're doing this unraveling, Kira is here for moms just like you, whether you want to talk to somebody alone or you want to be with a group of women who have walked out similar circumstances. Every woman's experience looks slightly different, but there's something to be said for being able to look at another woman and go, wow. Mm. you can understand me.
1: Right. I I think with anything, you you feel like you're the only one going through that. Mm -hmm. So there's comfort in numbers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, right. When we think about even educating people about this being a thing, Mm -hmm. if there are thousands of abortion survivors every year, then there are thousands of women like you every year there are thousands of men like William, right? Right. Take that times years and years and years. You are so far from alone, Karen.
1: Well, and like I've, I've seen a statistic that um, even our churches are filled with women who've had abortions. Um, And, and just like I was up until what a month ago, (laughs) you know, no, no one knew that about me. And, and I may be sitting next to women in my own church that have had abortions, and no one knows
0: mm-hmm.
1: what would is, you say to them right now. Like, I, I guess that I, I don't feel like everyone is called to go public necessarily with that information, but I, I, it is very personal. Um, but at the same time, I just I, I feel like you need to deal with the trauma of it and talk to somebody because it has to affect your life, even though you're not even aware that it's happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's such an important point. Not not everyone, and I would say very rarely, um, are people call to share their story very publicly, Mm -hmm. Um, but the healing is so important. You may never whisper your story to anybody else, or maybe it's just the one person that you're working with about it, but yeah, it sets you free. Like that day when I first met you and you first spoke and I looked at you and went, whoa, you look different. (laughs) Not that you didn't look great before, but I can say after you shared, I just went, wow, visible transformation.
1: Wow. See, I'm, I didn't know that until you said it. So mm-hmm.
0: it's almost like you go from shoulders kind of tight, right? You can just feel that tension and then you start to speak and you're like, oh, wow, a load's been lifted from my shoulders.
1: Right. Hmm.
0: You know, you shared what you would want um, someone to know after an abortion. What would you want a woman to know who's maybe considering abortion right now? Or maybe she's attempted an abortion and she's not sure, you know, she's still pregnant and she's not sure if she's going to have another abortion to
1: to end it. Right. Say, Um, I I think the biggest thing that I would tell them is things are not as hopeless Mm as what you think they are. It, it's so easy to get caught up in your circumstances and think that your life is over or this is horrible, you know, things like that. But yet, like I said before, you know, what, what you consider to be your biggest tragedy could turn into your greatest joy. And I think you need to uh, consider other options.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Your greatest, what feels like your greatest tragedy could be your greatest joy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Therein lies the hope. Hmm. Well, I had told you we were going to be on for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> hey, we have covered a lot more than what I think you thought we were going to cover.
1: That's a, and that's Okay.
0: Yeah, I think it's better than okay. I think this is exactly what the world needs to hear for the very first time. So I I don't take that lightly. I just want to thank you again for being willing to be a part of our video series, for being a part of this podcast and sharing your story. Uh, and, you know, I know this is just the beginning. It doesn't mean that Karen has to take a microphone and take a stage, but what I mean is the beginning of that process for you for healing. And I think hearing from other women, what your courageousness does for them.
1: Well, I I hope to hear about that. I mean, that that's why I'm doing this.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess now would be a good time for me to say that, you know, if you're tuning into this and you're wondering how can I, How can I pass a message along to Kieran? You can actually do it through us at the Abortion Survivors Network. So um, easiest place would be uh, the Abortion Survivors website. So abortionsurvivors.org. You can click on the form to send us a message there. You can also chat on our website. You can send us a message as well, info at abortionsurvivors.org. And I have no doubt, Kieran, we're going to be passing along messages to you. And for your audience, we just want you to join Karen and I in this mission. Spread the good news. There is hope where there is life, even when an abortion has been attempted and it failed or it was stopped or it was reversed. Women in crisis can reach out to us and find help and find hope through information and support, just like what Karen was talking about. For years to come, an abortion survivors can find community healing, find and even use their voice to raise awareness to this too unknown but not uncommon experience. And all of you can help be a part in raising awareness. We need you to help spread that good news that babies survive abortions and that there is hope where there is life. Please join us and be an advocate for survivors, for mothers like Kieran, and for families to end the generational trauma of abortion. Again, you can... Subscribe to our podcast on all those platforms. You can sign up for our mailing list on our website. Um, And most importantly, share all these good things with others, even when you find things on social media. Until then, until next time, there is hope where there is life.